let's do that. <laughs> Good morning again. I'm Amy Coles, and I am glad to be here while Andrea and her family are celebrating Andrew's graduation up in New York from Cornell. And so we congratulate him this morning, but it is great to be with you. I want to add my welcome to all of you that are here and those of us that are, are those who are joining us online uh, during this Memorial Day weekend. In this message series, This Is Us, we are looking at relationships as we follow two families. The first family is Jack and Rebecca, and I always forget their last name, so it would be Jack and Rebecca Pearson. Um, y'all can help me with that later in the sermon when I forget it again. But their, their family, um, Kate and Kevin and Randall, from the show This Is Us, we're following them, but we're also following the biblical family of Naomi and Ruth um, from the Old Testament story, the book of Ruth, um, which is just a, a short four-chapter story. So this summer, I want to invite you to, to do two things. When you get bored with watching The Bachelorette or America's Got Talent, because that's about all there is on TV, um, Watch the show. Watch This Is Us a little bit. It's a great show and and well-written. But also pick up your Bible and go to the Old Testament and read the book of Ruth. Because it is a powerful story about how we can strengthen our relationships, not only with each other, but also with God. And in this series, we've we've talked about several things. Andrea's talked about um, doing the right thing about loyalty, about taking risks as as important building blocks in our relationships with others. This morning, what I want us to think about is how our relationships would be made different if we were to see the miraculous, if we were to see those things that we can't quite explain, how, how that would affect our relationship with God and with all of creation, but also with each other. Now, I want to begin with a, a definition the definition, my definition of miraculous. And quite simply, it's this. Something is miraculous if it has a purpose or a meaning or a value or a beauty beyond which I can in and of myself create or do or, or make happen. So for example, doing laundry is not miraculous. Amen? Amen. We can do laundry. But not choking the person in my household who did laundry and left melted gum in the dryer. And when asked about it, said, oh, yeah, I did notice something sticky in the dryer. Not choking him is miraculous. Would you agree? Yeah. And it's interesting if we think about the miraculous all around us and if, if we begin to open our eyes and, and look at it. And, and I've just noticed some things all week as I've thought about this message and being with you this morning that to me are miraculous. The first is um, you can see in this picture that they'll put up on the screen. And um, it's a picture of an apple core. A friend of mine sent it to me earlier this week as she was cutting up her Granny Smith apple for lunch, today, for lunch one day. And if you'll notice on that picture, there are two seeds that were in the core of that apple that were already beginning to germinate. And to me, that's miraculous. First, that, that apple seeds can, are made in such a way, created in such a way by God to, to produce more apples. 
But also that in the core of this apple, those seeds were so hardy, so, so willing to do the, the job that they had been given, that even under non, not optimal conditions, they hadn't been planted in rich soil. They were already beginning, in the beginning stages of growing into an apple tree. It's a little thing, but to me that's miraculous. Last weekend, I spent the weekend in Pilot Mountain with my nephew, who I have custody of and of the dryer incident. Um, uh, he'll love me for saying that. <laughs> but um, we, we were up, at, up in Pilot Mountain at a wedding of, of a dear family of ours. In fact, when Brandon came to live with me while I was serving a church up there, this family became kind of his second home. In fact, there were many times I think that he would have rather lived with them than live with me. Brandon was a groomsman in the wedding, and um, as, as the wedding happened, Brandon had the honor of um, walking um, a set of the grandparents, the ones he was most closest to, as well as the mother of the groom down the aisle into their seats. And you know, as I watched him do that, as he took the groom's mom, Kelly, by the arm, amidst tears, all I could do was give thanks. Give thanks for the miraculous way that God had placed people in Brandon's life. His mother had passed away. His father hadn't had anything to do with him. And in the midst of that deep hole and that deep deep emptiness in his life, God had placed a family. They couldn't replace his parents, but they could help in the healing. They could give him someone to look up to. And when he didn't want to listen to me, someone that could provide guidance and unconditional love. For me, that's miraculous. Earlier this week, I um, received a a caring bridge notification um, from a friend of mine. It's a clergy colleague who um, is dying from colon cancer. And the post was written by her husband, Jamie, and it was entitled, The Gift of Time. And in that post, what Jamie did was to give thanks for the extra time that they'd been given with Elizabeth. You see, a little over two months ago, they weren't sure Elizabeth was going to make it to her birthday at the end of April. And yet she's alive and still having good days today. He was also giving thanks for the fact that Elizabeth had said that, that where she really wanted to spend her last few precious days was up in their mountain house at Lake Jindaluska. And yet all her treatment was in Concord. And they'd been able to arrange it so that there was an oncologist in Asheville that could work with her oncologist in Concord to provide for that treatment. And so they were able to begin to think about making that transition up to the lake. And hopefully by mid-June, that's where they'll be. And he was thanking God, and I thank God for those miraculous events. I want you to watch now a clip from This Is Us. And I want you to watch for the miraculous in that clip. And for those of you that haven't seen the show, just as a reminder, it is um, about Jack and Rebecca Pearson. And this is, a, is the time when their triplets were being born. They, they had triplets and, and one passed away. And so Dr. Katowski is sharing with Jack that his son has died. Take a watch now.
Rebecca's vitals are good. She's going to be asleep for a little while, but she's doing fine. We're monitoring her closely. Okay. We lost the third baby, Jack. I'm, I'm very sorry. The uh, second baby is a girl, very strong. The third baby was a little boy, but the uh, umbilical cord was cutting off his oxygen. He was stillborn. Nothing anybody could have done. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not processing anything. My wife is fine. And she'll be awake pretty soon. You have two beautiful, healthy children, Jack. Boy and a girl. But we did lose the third child. I need to be with my wife. And you will be. But she needs to sleep now. But soon. You just sit down. Sit. Sit. Okay, if I keep you company a second. Yeah. <sighs> okay, if I try and say something meaningful. Yeah. I lost my wife last year, cancer. It's the reason I still work so much at my age. Trying to pass the time. <laughs> we were married 53 years. Five children, 11 grandkids. But we lost our very first child during the delivery. The reason I went into this field, truth be told, I have spent five decades delivering babies, more babies than I can count. But there is not a single day that goes by that I don't think of the child I lost. And I'm an old man now. I like to think that because of the child that I lost, because of the path that that he sent me on that I have saved countless other babies. Yeah. I like to think that maybe one day you'll be an old man like me. Talking a younger man's ear off, explaining to him how you took the sourest lemon that life has to offer and turned it into something resembling lemonade. If you can do that, then you will still be taking three babies home from this hospital. Just maybe not the way you planned. I don't know if that was meaningful or senile, but I thought it ought to be said. Your wife will still be asleep for a little while. Go see your babies. 
They're excited to meet their father. I think maybe they got a good one. So making lemonade out of the sourest lemons that life has to offer, rather than becoming bitter and angry, is miraculous, isn't it? And you know, as the doctor suggested later in this show, Rebecca and Jack are able to take a third child home through the adoption of Randall, who was abandoned at a fire station and has been brought to the hospital about the same time that the triplets are born. And yes, this is TV. But it is also a reminder, a reminder of the great and miraculous gift that adoptive parents give to infants or children or even youth as they welcome them into a loving home. Miraculous events in everyday life. As we now move to that second family that we've been following, the biblical family of Naomi and Ruth, let me recap the story just a little bit. Naomi and her husband Elimelech have left Bethlehem. We know Bethlehem as Jesus' birthplace. And they've left it because of a severe famine and they've gone to a foreign land, the land of Moab taking their two sons with them. When they get to Moab, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi with her two sons who take Moabite wives. And they live there for about 10 years when the two sons also die, leaving Naomi with two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And it's about this time that Ruth hears that the famine has lifted in Bethlehem and she decides to return home to be with her family. And her two daughters-in-law say, well, we'll go with you. And yet they don't get very far down the road when Naomi stops and turns to them and says, I don't think this is a great idea. I think you need to turn back. You need to go back to your own homes and you need to find husbands who will take care of you. And as we hear that, I think we have to remember that in the culture of that day, women didn't have a whole lot of worth. They needed uh, or were supposed to be taken care of first by their fathers and then by their husbands and when their husbands passed away by other male relatives. So Naomi was trying to protect them. Orpah agrees to turn back. But Ruth does not, with beautiful words, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, where you die, I will die. Beautiful words of loyalty and commitment. Ruth travels with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And when they get back there, Ruth decides that what she can offer to her mother-in-law is to help take care of her. And so she begins to daily go out into the fields to glean, to to collect the, the leftover produce so that they have something that they can eat. And in what I think Ruth would look back as a miraculous event, one day Ruth goes to glean at in the field of Boaz. Now Boaz was a relative of her deceased father-in-law Elimelech. And Ruth is gleaning in that field and Boaz comes out and he notices what Ruth is doing. And he asks the farmhands, who is she? And they say, well, this is the Moabite woman, Ruth, who came back with Naomi. 
came back to Bethlehem. And Boaz looks at her and then he speaks to her and says these words. Listen, my daughter. From now on, don't go to any other field to glean. Stay right here in this one and stay close to my young women. Watch where they are harvesting and follow them. And don't worry about a thing. I've given orders to my servants not to harass you. When you get thirsty, feel free to go and drink from the water buckets that the servants have filled. Ruth dropped to her knees and bowed her face to the ground. How does this happen that you should pick me out and treat me so kindly? Me, a foreigner. Boaz answered her, well, I've heard all about you. Heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law after the death of her husband and how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to live a bunch of total strangers. God reward you well for what you've done and with a generous bonus besides from God to whom you've come seeking protection under his wings. We said, oh, sir, such grace, such kindness, I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart, treating me like one of your own and I don't even belong here. You see, miraculously, she's been welcomed into the community Treated as one of the family, Boaz is telling the servants to to even leave some of the good grain out so that she can provide for Naomi and for others. And if we fast forward a little bit, Ruth eventually marries Boaz. Now friends, this isn't TV, it's really the Bible, although sometimes they're a lot alike. And Ruth and Boaz become the grandparents of David. David, who is a young shepherd boy, wrote psalms. Most notable is with is the one that we know as the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the young boy who fought Goliath, as in, in David and Goliath. He becomes the, the most notable king in all of Israel. And ultimately, he's an ancestor of Jesus. It's in the Bible, the miraculous event of a, a faithful foreigner as she provides care and concern to her mother-in-law. But you know, equally miraculous to me is the fact that Boaz noticed Ruth in the first place. Even before he knew who she was, he, he noticed her work ethic and, and her hard work and, and he was willing to see the best in her. And isn't that miraculous? What a difference it makes when we're able to see the the best in in someone else. And and if we truly believe that each one of us are created in the image of God, then I believe that what Boaz did was to see the image of God in Ruth and to celebrate it. To celebrate a person's giftedness or talents or goodness. And then this is us clip. Dr. Katowski looks at Jack and sees the goodness in him when he says, go see your babies. They're anxious to meet you. They're anxious to meet their father. And I think they've got a good one. Can you imagine what those words meant to Jack who had just heard such devastating news? Benjamin Zander is... 
the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic. He also taught for a time at the New England Conservatory of Music. And Xander has written a wonderful book called The Art of Possibility, but one of the things he talks about in that book is how he noticed that when he was teaching at the New England Conservatory, that the students came and they were under so much pressure. They wanted to get it right. They wanted to to live into being perfect. They, They were worried about those other people who were better than them. And so he devised a way to help them play their best. And it was this way. He told the students that at the beginning of the semester, he was going to tell them their grade. That each and every one of them would get an A. And they had to live into that A for the rest of the semester. Here's how how he explains this to a group of teachers. And and let me apologize. The the video's a little bit blurry because it it was taped. but, But you can hear what he says, how he gives each student an A. Teacher like you. I teach at the conservatory in Boston. I have a class on Friday afternoon. People come from all over the world and they're excited to be there and they're eager to learn, you know. But what's really going on, they're saying, Am I better than her? Am I better than him? I know I'm better than her. I don't think I'll ever be as good as him. I hope I can be as good as her. They're constantly comparing and they're measuring. And when they come out to play, let's say the violin. It looks as though there's one person playing the violin, right? There are two people. There's a person who's playing the violin, and then there's another person standing behind the person who's playing the violin, whispering in his ear, you haven't practiced enough. (laughs) Do you know how many people play this piece better than you do? That difficult passage. You missed it the last time. It's coming right up. You're going to miss it again. That's the voice in the head. And if anybody's saying, what does he mean, a voice in the head? What's he talking about, a voice in the head? That's the voice I mean. (laughs) Took a moment for you to hear it, right? (laughs) But that voice keeps talking and talking and talking, and it never stops. You know, sometimes it talks so loudly that it drowns out the music. So my job is to get hold of that voice. And this is how it works. I do it each year. I come into my class at the beginning of the year, and there are about 40 students in my class, and I say, after a little bit of housekeeping, I say, your grade for the year is an A. You're an A. That's your grade. And there's one condition. The condition is that they have to write me a letter in the first two weeks of the class of the year, the letter must be dated the following May when the class ends. So the, letter, the date at the top is May 2000 of the next year. And then the letter must begin with these words, Dear Mr. Zander, I got my A because... Then they have to write a letter describing who they will have become by the following May to justify this extraordinary grade. And I tell them to fall passionately in love with the person they're describing in the letter. And they do. They write about who they would be, who they could be, who they see themselves as. Only that damn voice would stop telling them they can't do it. When I come into class, the person I teach is the person that they have described in their letter. You see, I only take A students. Now, there are a few people looking very concerned and saying, how does he do that? Well, the answer is very simple. You can give an A to anybody. You can give an A to a waitress in a restaurant, to a taxi driver. You can give an A to the other drivers when you're driving in traffic. You can give an A to your mother-in-law. You can give an A to your boss. You can give an A to anybody. 
What happens when you give an A is that the relationship is transformed. This is hard for teachers. I know this is very, very hard. I addressed a group of teachers earlier this year, uh, and one of them came up to me afterwards and said, I like this giving an A. It's sweet, he said. <laughs> uh, but he said, but it doesn't make, it doesn't, you don't know the students. You, you don't know them. You don't know their work. So I imagine as the year progresses and you find out that some of them are quite mediocre, I imagine you modify the grade, right? I said, no. And then I tell them about this young girl I met. She's about 15. I said, what's your name? She said, Joy. <laughs> I said, I beg your pardon. She said, Joy. Now, should her parents modify her name? <laughs> no, because we don't give children a name as an expectation to live up to. We give children a name as a possibility to live into. Giving a name as a possibility to live into. Giving an A, seeing the image of God in someone else, that they might live into that possibility. What a difference it would make in our relationships. Now, I'll be the first to admit that, that I have a difficult time doing that. It's, it's much easier to put on that critical hat. But I'm trying. And I want to challenge you to do the same. To look at people and see the image of God in those people. It's your spouse, start with your children, maybe your in-laws. And then work your way to that person that it's most difficult for you to love or even to like. See if you can see what their talent is. What the image of God looks like in that person. Give that person an A. Let them do the miraculous. And see what a difference it makes. You see, it doesn't have to just be on TV. Or even just in the Bible. It can be here. Here in everyday life. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we bow before you, we know that you have given each one of us an A. That you have seen the goodness of us, that, that you have called us your beloved son and daughter. That you've said, with us you are well pleased. Help us, O oh God, to pass along that gift. To be willing to see the miraculous in our world and in others, and ultimately, oh God, the miraculous in you. For then, then we'll make this world a different place. This we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. So Jamie ended his Caringbridge post with these words. So don't take a minute for granted. Hold on to and cherish every minute you have with the people you love and those who love you. Time is a sacred gift. The clock is always ticking. I think the question for us is do we want to live those precious moments being critical of others or seeing the best in them? Let us go forth. Everybody deserves an A. Have a great week.